Oh my God. If you're here and I'm here, then that means we are all here for the finale of season five of Everything's Relative. Um, except to be clear, this is this episode is actually not the finale. But it's my last episode with a guest. It's my so it's a, my last episode with this format for this season of 2023. It's that kind of finale. It's my finale guest. The other day, I hope it's okay with Dawn that I'm telling this story. But Dawn Anderson called me, the host of another great podcast, Missing Pieces, This MPE Life. Go look it up, go listen. And he said, he sent a message and he said, like, how do you know your episode lineup so specifically? Like, how are you so organized? And what I thought to myself was, I'm really glad it seems like I'm organized because I don't feel organized. Um, but that's not what I said. Um, what I said is what I'm going to say to you right now. Thanks to our sponsor, Magic Mind, I'm finding myself a little more calm and focused each day, which gives me the space to be more organized. I'm trying to drink less coffee. And with Magic Mind, I don't get that afternoon crash that haunts me every day around three o'clock. Uh, it's been really great. Two ounces each morning with my coffee. Not in my coffee, just like with it. Try it. Go to magicmind.com forward slash Eve and use my discount code RELATIVE20. Do it. We could all be in the Magic Mind Club as well as the DNA Discovery Club. I clearly love clubs. Magicmind.com forward slash Eve. Discount with RELATIVE20. So Don Anderson... That's my answer. This podcast has been an answer to so many things for me since my own discovery. If you're new here today, welcome. I am talking about DNA discoveries that turn people's entire lives, identities, relationships, perspectives of the world upside down. A lot of people find out because they're doing direct-to-consumer DNA tests, and a lot of people find out other ways. How did I find out? Well, it was a phone call. If you come back next week for the finale, 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 you can hear all about it, uh, more about it than I have ever really talked about here, because that's what I'm doing this season for the actual finale. So what kind of phone call, you ask? Well, come back next week. My last but not least guest of this season five in 2023 is my friend Peggy Arvidsson. I feel like she was a good one to end on because she's an ad adoptee. And I had a lot of adoptees this season. Like I've said before a few times, like each season seems to accidentally have a theme of its own. Last season, I had the most donor-conceived stories, and that just kind of became a theme. This time, it's adoptees. So Peggy fits right in with that. Uh, she says a lot of things that are just interesting about adoptees and human behavior. And she also has an awesome podcast that people are loving called Adoptees at Work. So I thought that you could go listen to that and even contact her to be on her show during my hiatus, right? This is perfect. Okay, so let's just get to it. I'll meet you on the other side to wrap it up. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, can I say your last name? Sure. Okay. Can you? It's Arvidsson. 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 I, well, I was only asking because I was like, wait, I already did say it on a podcast before your last name. So I'm hoping, but, and I was wanted to talk about your podcast. <laughs> I was in a panic. Like, is your last name on your podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a lot of adoptees, not all of us, but um, 
I seriously had my name all over social media as soon as it started, like the internet. I was like, good, they must be looking for me. Who wouldn't be looking for me? Oh, yeah. I'm going to put my picture out there. I'm going to put my name out there. I'm certain by now they have started looking for me. Um, turns out, no. <laughs> hmm. I never thought of it. I never thought of that. Oh, I was like, I'm looking for you. You must be looking for me. And and maybe they told you my name. You know, I just thought I'm going to make it easy for them to find me. Do you find that common among adoptees with social media? Some. Some adoptees do, you know, some, I, you know, I have friends that are adopted that are like, nope, don't care, not interested, not a piece of the puzzle whatsoever. Um, I'm me. And then I have others that say, well, if they wanted to find me, they would start. And I thought, well, I'll just make it easy. I'm going to drop mm -hmm. breadcrumbs all along the way of my life. I'm going to prove to them I mean, that's the other thing we do is like, I'm going to prove to them, like, I'm going to be famous. Like, I was like, I'm going to be famous so that they're going to come find me. I'm not famous. Yet. So I, my name is there everywhere, but I, I don't know why I would have thought they would have known my name because obviously your records are sealed. But I thought, how could somebody have me and then not, not want to find me? I agree with you. That it makes the most sense to put your name out there regardless of their access to it. Yeah. Like, why make it any harder? That's, you know, I'm not a mystery, even though I wanted to be a spy when I was growing up. Oh, did you? Did you really? How long? How long? How long into life did you want to be a spy? Well, maybe I am right now. It's <laughs> true. Oh, <I> just... <laughs> can't tell me if you are. Uh, yeah, I can't tell you. I wonder if spies ever say that. Real spies or real CIA agents are like, is part of their cover. They mm -hmm. innocently and authentically say, oh, I wanted to be in the CIA. I, I imagine there's some that are good at that. Like I lived mm -hmm. in DC long enough to like know people that would like, I kind of knew there were things that they did. And, but more often than not, those people tend to be really good at changing the subject right. to going back about you like so quickly. Mm -hmm. um, They're so nice. <laughs> yeah. But I could see <laughs> that. So interested in you. Yeah, like, tell me more. That's a really interesting question you just asked me. And it reminds me of a time. Now, you said you used to ride horses. And then you're, yeah, I want to be a spy in third grade. That's what I wrote in my third grade essay. And Mrs. Swillinger, may she rest in peace. I spent a long time because my father would make me get out the encyclopedia to write all these things, you know, look it up. And if I was going to write a paper, it was going to be done right. Education was important to him highly. And I turned in my paper. And Mrs. Willinger said, this is not an appropriate career choice for a young lady. What? I know I went to Catholic school, but I don't really know <laughs> if that had anything to do with it. Uh, I wrote some other story about I don't even remember what the second choice was, but that was also inappropriate nursing or teaching. Well, and then I finally said to her, well, what can I do? Like, you know, I'm in third grade and I'm, a, I'm kind of timid. Like I'm a chatterbox, but I don't, I want to get straight A's. I want to make everybody happy. I want to be a good kid. And I finally said, well, what can I be? And she said, you could be a social worker, a nurse or a teacher. And I thought, well, crap, I don't know what a social worker is. So I guess I'll look that one up and that's what I'll write. Because mm -hmm. I knew I, my mother was a nurse. I didn't want to be a nurse. And I really didn't want to be a teacher. Not if Miss Swillinger was your model. No. <laughs> oh, man. That makes right? me so sad. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not going to vil vilify her, the teacher, but um, I know I understand about times and generations and limited thinking. Uh, but I had someone in fourth grade, I had a teacher tell me I couldn't do something because I was a girl. Mm. And um, it was like, I mean, it was just the one time. It was the most blatant experience of sexism I think I've ever experienced to this day. And I still, I'll never forget it. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget the punch in my stomach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. She was from, I feel like she was from Virginia. She was Mrs. Date. No, it wasn't Mrs. Davis. It was the one, it was the teacher after her. Miss Davis quit. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> 
But um, she wanted to be a spy, Miss Davis. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be a spy. But I, um, oh, the whole <laughs> the whole point. I mean, all of this. Well, uh, I was what I was going to not the whole point. But what I also was going to say is that Lily, my daughter, who's now 20, third grade is when she wanted to be in the FBI. Fourth grade is when they had to make a timeline of their life. And she definitely was in the t- in the FBI on that timeline. And it was soon after being hired by the FBI. She gets a Ferrari. Oh. <laughs> and then I don't remember what's on the timeline after that. But that was the two best parts. It was like, go to high school. You had to say your age and like go to high school. And like these, they had to map out their life. And she was going to join the FBI and get a Ferrari. That's, you know... <laughs> so cool <laughs> my niece did you know we would take walks around the neighborhood when my niece lived um, a block over and when she was like yeah about that same well no maybe a little younger second or third grade um what do you what do you want to do and i was just as well i'm gonna have a maserati a ferrari and a mercedes she's like very into cars and i said <laughs> okay but what are you gonna do like how are you gonna make this? she says well i'm going to be a scientist i'm going to discover fairies and i'm going to be a famous singer I said, yes, ambition. That's all, you know, it's, you know, it's so promising when they, when they just see the future and have a plan. Yeah. I love no matter it. what the plan is. <laughs> I was like, this is great. Will you drive me in your car? She mm-hmm. goes, I don't know. You'll have to see. I said, yeah. okay. Look, she can't plan everything. No. That's amazing. I may not be cool enough to be in her car. I love her. <laughs> yeah. She's pretty funny. That's really great. So that's my story. That's it. That's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's great. So I'm sitting here with Peggy Arvinson. Hi, everybody. She has a new podcast called Adoptees at Work, which is something I want to talk about. But I wanted to talk to her anyway uh, before this new podcast changed the world because she's a part of part of our community and she's an adoptee and I want to know more about her. So so tell me more about you. What is being an adoptee mean to you or do you have an adoption story? I do have an adoption story and it's always evolving and changing like everybody's story. I am an always known adoptee. I was born in the sixties to clearly a Catholic mother um, because I was adopted through Catholic charities. Um, A story that I recently heard from my mom, my adoptive mom that raised me was that when they were trying to have children, they'd been married for about five years and they couldn't and they decided they wanted to adopt. They were originally going to go through another religious organization. She never named that organization. I always felt like it may have been the Lutheran one because they're pretty popular, those Lutherans and their babies. Um, And they went there, my mother said, and they said, why don't you go to your own, like your own oh. religion? Like, why don't you go back to your own people and uh, get a baby there? And so then they did. And I, you know, I mean, she only told, I may have even just been like the last couple of months that she told me that. And it, it, it struck me again, like how random it is that we end up where we end up, mm-hmm. you know, right. you know, there's all these, you know, wonderful stories you were, plan to be with them and God wanted you with them and all of these things. Um, And as a person, I tend to think that everything kind of does happen for a reason, but it is kind of random. Like, I don't know what happened to that Lutheran baby. They could have been Peggy Arvidsson, but they're not. So that is, you know, in hindsight, I'm really glad she did tell me that, you know, when I was searching for myself and, uh, but I always knew I was adopted. I knew that was different. My brother was adopted too. Um, and he and I look alike. We have different birth families, but we look enough alike that it kind of worked together. And as often happens, then they had their own child together, my mom and my dad, who looks nothing like us. So people used to stop us. Mm-hmm. And say, well, what's with these, like, especially in the summer, my brother and I get very dark, we tan, um, you know, we have dark hair, dark eyes. My sister is blonde and freckled and adorable, uh, but does not look like us. And they would stop. Where do you get these two little brown beans and this one? And my sister, the cute little blonde baby would say, oh, we're adopted. And my brother and I would go, no, you're not adopted. (laughs) You are not in our club. 
Yeah. Then she would cry. Um, but bless her heart for trying to be. I know she really, you know, she, so we all knew like, it wasn't like some secret. I grew up with adoptees all around the neighborhood. And, but even then I can also remember, you know, writing like, my, my husband jokes with me, like I sit down every night still and he's like, oh, there she is, dear diary, you know, mm -hmm. but I was journaling before anybody talked about journaling. Like I made, I would take paper. My dad worked for an envelope manufacturer when they had bad runs of paper. We always had paper on top of the refrigerator. I would take the paper, cut it in half and staple the sides together and make those into my journals. Oh just to write my stories. And I used to be small enough that I could go into my closet and climb up on the shelf in my closet. And I would sit in my closet and I would just write these stories. Now, I was also very social, but I also just had a lot of feelings and I didn't know what to do with the feelings. I always erupted. Were the, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, no. Were the stories you were writing fiction, imaginary mm -hmm. stories? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, you know, fiction at that like, you know, second, third grade. Mm -hmm. And then probably around fourth grade, it was about, you know, boys I had a crush on or what girls were being mean. I never could get into the clique because I went to Catholic school and it, um, until eighth grade. And, you know, so we had the same kids and there was maybe 20 kids in the class and there's always the clique. And I was just always on the periphery, mm -hmm. like trying to get in and like practically begging these kids to let me be their friend. Um, and sometimes I clearly met their needs and I would be in the clique and I'd be so happy. And then, then I'd be out again. Mm -hmm. um, they tied me to a tree in fourth grade. Oh. It sounds so tragic. I didn't even remember until like my 30th class reunion when one of the perpetrators came up to me and apologized. And I looked at her, like I'm sitting there looking at her, you know, in my class reunion. I was like, holy moly. I didn't even remember this. And I said, I feel really badly. And she says, what do you mean? I'm apologizing to you. And I said, I feel badly that this has been something that you clearly have carried for 30 years. And I forgot about it. I said, but if it'll make you feel better, I'll be really upset about it for the next 30 years. And I said, you don't need to be forgiven, but you need to forgive yourself. But you know, like that was nice of you. That was so nice of you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like kind of mad by proxy at her and yeah, very glad she came and apologized. You know, her life didn't turn out all that great either. In general, you know, I think we all know as adults that sometimes the mean things are done by kids that are having a mean time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's a sweet way to put it. So, you know, being adopted was just part of who I was. Like, I don't know how to not be adopted. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how to not have brown eyes unless I wear those blue contact lenses. Right. Right. It's so, my story is so ingrained in who I am. I always wanted to know who do I look like, who, you know, I think that's a very common thing. And I feel like a lot of times adoptees say that and we don't even understand the depth of why we say it. Sure. Did you and your, did you and your brother talk about it? Um, not really. My brother, I always joke that my brother was like Ferris Bueller and I was like Ferris Bueller's really pain in the neck older <laughs> sister. You can't do that. You're going to be in trouble because my brother, even now, you know, we are very, very close. He is like my person but he also drives me nuts. And I think he'd say the same thing, but he was always super popular. He was an athlete. He's extremely good looking. Women love him. Men love him. You know, like he's just that guy. Mm -hmm. We all know them. Yeah, he is that guy. And he's, he's got a heart of gold. Although sometimes he's like, I think to myself, how do you survive in the world? But I, you know, but I love him. So we didn't really talk about it growing up. We talk about it more as adults. Um, and interestingly enough, as I was saying, you know, I always wanted to be found and I was always searching. So, you know, I'd watch like Dr. Phil, where they would do these reunion shows and then they would post like, you know, if you want to get on this list, write in. And I would put my 
20 hard earned $20 from babysitting money, you know, in the envelope and mail it off to be on the list. Cause this was before the internet or anything to yeah. search. Um, and they tell you in those shows, you know, I'd pay attention and take notes. Like, how do you do this? And they'd say, make sure you give every piece of information you can, every name, you know, anything, you know, anything else related to your family that you you're in now. So I had included information that I had these siblings, one of whom was also adopted and, you know, his age, um, and his half sister found him through me. Oh, so like, I'm like a medium. Maybe I should become a medium. I mean, like how wonderful, but how unfair. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, so I was like, see, this is how Ferris Bueller's life goes, mm -hmm. right? Totally. Like his sister does all the work and he gets all the, no. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, she found, you know, she sent me an email um, and had said, I think, you know, I just found out that my mother had a child that she gave up for adoption. I think your brother is my brother. Um, and I said, you know, this is his story. And I, it sounds like it could be a match. I'm going to forward your email to him. And then I'm going to just leave it from there. Cause I mm -hmm. want him to make his own decisions. And he did connect with her. How long um, ago was that? Oh gosh, probably maybe 15, 20 years ago for him. So, you know, and that's been a nice reunion for him. And I'm, I was always so happy, but I was always like, oh, why not me? So close. It was so close. Why doesn't anybody, well, you know, mm -hmm. I could, you know, it would get frustrating. Like, why is nobody looking for me? That was like mm -hmm. my sad sack story. So I kept thinking, I'll keep doing things that will be good and will be positive. And if I'm a good person, then somebody would want to find me. And then, mm -hmm nobody looked for me because they didn't know you know i've always said i think our siblings that find out that we existed have a lot to say i'd love to hear what they have to say mm -hmm. because my siblings on the maternal side have always said they wish they had known like you know they're sad too just like me like if we had known we could have had more time together right I think adoptee stories are, are similar and they're different. I grew up with a great family. Um, I can absolutely articulate that I had an all-American middle-class family. The things that you wanted, never got the pony, but I did go to horseback riding camp. So that's pretty close. And I, I didn't want for anything. We were very, very loved. And I think a lot of times adoptive parents believe that love is enough mm -hmm. and love is beautiful. Like I would much rather have lived in a family where I was loved. There was never any differentiation between us and my sister. That's nice. Yeah. I don't hear that a lot here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like not a single thing. Um, my sister will argue that I was much closer to my dad than she ever was. I, I, I disagree, but my father and I were very much cut from the same cloth and I was for sure daddy's girl. And, and he was my protector. He was my, uh, I don't know if I'd use the word confidant because there were a lot of things I didn't want to tell my dad, but <laughs> you know, I had a lot of, it was a lot of mutual respect and a lot of mutual, you know, humor and things together. And I miss him every day, mm. but he still, and I wasn't really searching for my birth father. I don't know. I mean, some people do, but I really wanted to know this birth mother. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I think that, tra I mean, I think that's the most common or consistent or that tracks, but our attachment, our attachment to the womb itself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know any of that back then. I just knew. Um, and, and I would have these inklings that sometimes I would just wake up and be like, I think that she's thinking of me, you know, and and I wouldn't really know, you know, I wouldn't call it like, you know, my, my I have another half sister who was adopted <laughs> uh, two years <laughs> after me. And she's definitely very like highly psychic intuitive. Like she's like, Oh yeah, I knew I would 
she's like, I always knew what they looked like. I always knew what they were doing, but I never could find them. And, um, and I didn't have that, but every once in a while I would just look in the mirror and have these feelings like maybe, maybe she is thinking of me, but she's not going to find me or whatever. I don't know. I just, Mm -hmm. it was really, and those are moments that make you feel really angry and kind of filled with rage, but you don't know what to do because you're also busy being perfect. Ooh, wow. So you can't be rageful and perfect at the same time unless you're perfectly rageful. And I don't think I realized that, but I have a friend that I grew up with who was adopted and we talk all the time. We talked about being adopted, not all the time because our third friend wasn't adopted, but she's probably an expert on adoption at this point (laughs) in her life. (laughs) Um, Because we still talk, you know, 50 six years later. And um, my one friend was like, you know, you were really angry as a kid. Do you remember you, you, you used to organize boxing matches in the garage? And I was like, I do remember that. <laughs> oh, did that seem angry? Hmm. I don't know. It just seemed like boxing was a good sport. Mm-hmm. You know, you could punch things or people and right. Um, and it was all under the auspices of a sporting event. Mm-hmm. Now I can't even stand to like, you know, hear a commercial for a boxing match. Um, the brutality of it. But right. I have broken a piano and left dents in every locker I ever had. So, yeah, there was a little rage, a little mm-hmm. anger. It was in there. Mm-hmm. It was in there. Yeah. So you mentioned siblings, half half siblings, maternal half mm-hmm. siblings. So um when did that change? When was there a connection made? 6 years ago, whatever that is. Not long. We ju- That's yeah, not, not long, long ago. No, not long ago. I was searching. I started searching when I was 16 years old and when I was 52 I made a connection for the first time. I had hired a private detective in my 20s. I had gotten my non-identifying information from Catholic Charities in Newark, New Jersey, except for the, there was a big delay because the irony is that the social worker that they had attached to my case (laughs) went on maternity leave. And that cracked me up when they were like, oh, we're sorry. There's been a big delay. Your social worker's on maternity leave. And I was like, does anybody else see the irony in this? Like at all? Yeah, no, they didn't get it. No, but, you they know, were like, what? No, she's having a baby. She's having like, <laughs> There's nothing ironic about having a baby. <laughs> what does she it's mean? Just, <laughs> what do you mean? Um, so it took months for them to get me this information. And when they finally sent me the information after the maternity leave and after the holidays, it was sent with a note, a handwritten note from the social worker telling me why it took so long because my file had burned in the Great Iron Mountain Fire of Newark. I did look it up. There was such a thing. It was, you know, Iron Mountain is a company that stores papers and files and things. Oh, okay. And there was a fire in Newark, New Jersey in the 80s. Hmm. I feel suspicious, but okay. I was feeling very suspicious. So I was like, clearly my father is a mob boss. Mm-hmm. And my mother was a starlet. Yeah. What didn't they want you to know? They don't want me to know I'm somebody's love child. Well, clearly. Um, but also all of the information that she had called together came from files of sisters of my birth mother who had also rescinded children or had relinquish children. I can't remember the word relinquish. I think there's some psychological thing there because I'm like rescinded, returned. Yeah. Rescinded. Rescinded. I don't know. Like that doesn't, that's not the word, but it works in a, in a sort of sad, twisted way. Right. And I, oh, never, I don't want this. Never mind. I would like to rescind my motherhood. (laughs) that's exactly (laughs) that's the word that always comes to me and i know um you know i have a friend who's a kinesiologist that likes to tell me some of the miss words that i use and what she believes it means and she's probably right about all of them oh interesting but relinquished me but my birth mother's two sisters younger sisters 
um, had done the same. And so they pulled the information and yet they still had the name of my, like the first name of my birth father. Huh. I'm kind of impressed. I'm kind of impressed with their resourcefulness. Uh, yeah, the I critical, am. They're critical thinking. Critical thinking. So they gave me the names of every sibling that my birth mother had. There were, I think, eight of them. And that was it. So I carry this file around with me from place to place, move. Wait, I'm sorry. Can we go back to eight? eight? Yeah, I think I think there were eight. Let me count. Eight siblings. She was the oldest of eight. The oldest of eight. She yes. had eight siblings. Five, oh, seven siblings, right? Right. Seven siblings. You did not have eight siblings. She was not relinquishing eight children. No. This is about her siblings. Her siblings. Ooh. Okay. She relinquished two. Aha. Uh-huh. Or rescinded two. Rescinded. She rescinded twice. Twice she rescinded the opportunity. The second child was relinquished not through Catholic charities mm-hmm. of hers. Um, so we didn't, that was not in any information that I had. I did not know there was another one of me. Um, but so, yes, they were, you know, there were no HIPAA violations <laughs> or whatever there. Sure. <laughs> Here's mm-hmm. here's your family history. So they gave me all these names, how old these people were, um, where she had reported that she had worked. Again, was my file burned or was it not burned? Because why would her sisters say where she worked? But whatever. Um, why would her sisters have my birth father's name in their file? I don't know. Um, this is a mystery. I often say, if you want to solve a mystery or find a person, just call an adoptee mm-hmm. and we can you answer can that it. question in about 25 minutes. Right. Um, our research skills are great. Right. So I have this file and I'm traveling, you know, my life with this file and I would open it up and then I would hire an investigator, but I didn't have that much money. So I couldn't pay for the full kit and caboodle, only the kit. And um, would get so far and then stop. And my friends, I had a friend who probably in the 90s was working in like biopharma something, something, genetic research. And she said, there's this new, there are these new tests, you know. These DNA tests. Mm-hmm. And I think at that time it was just uh, family tree DNA, FT DNA. Um, and you paid for it. And I was like, I don't have money for that. She said, I'll get you one. So she got me this kit and I spit in the tube and whatever. And I had not, like, you know, no matches, no nothing. And she says, well, it's still new. Um, and you can only check your maternal line, right? So okay. several years later, I did 23 and Me. And again, no close matches. But I found a lot of people that came out of the woodwork to me, insisting that they knew there were these dirty little secrets in their family and I must be related. But I was like, I don't know anything about science, but I do know that a fifth cousin is not like I'm not your I'm not your long lost niece. Like, I just know that. (laughs) Oh, man, they were so excited for They were so excited for a story. They were. And I'm sure they have a story, but I was not it. Um, And. Then we were watching a commercial for Ancestry and I was like, I'm not doing that. That's just these stupid commercials. I'm not doing it. My husband's like, just do it. It's like, no, nobody's looking for me. Nobody wants me. I don't care. But I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like, that was the bingo. Uh, I hit a match that came back as like an uncle cousin and it was my uncle my mother my biological mother's youngest brother so he was 10 years old at the time i was born and he said in the correspondence very kind man i have so many warm fuzzy feelings for him but he said to me in in the message no this mm-hmm. can't be because the other sister has has already found them, had found them like 12 years earlier. And he says, unless you have the wrong birth date, like unless you're born 
two years later than you were born. And I'm thinking, well, that would be quite the time travel, you know, but I can understand his confusion because mm -hmm. that's when she was born. We're almost born on the same day. We're just two years apart. Um, oh, that would be strange for him. Yeah. I mean, I can just see him yeah. Yeah. feeling feeling just confused, just confused right. about entire beings that he couldn't fathom existed. Right. None <laughs> of them. Right. And um, but then I did something that I really regret. Uh, I wrote out all of the information from what Catholic Charities has sent me. Well, this person, this person, like I named them all, how old they were, and the fact that the information had come from these other siblings' files. Hmm. One of whom had let the family know their situation, the other had not. Oh. And I, to this day, I wish I had thought that through. Mm. I feel badly about that. I mean, obviously she's not my biggest fan <laughs> um, in the family. And when I was corresponding with him, he let me know he didn't really want me to reach out to the siblings that she had had and kept. Their, our mother had died um, before the other sister found her actually. And he said, I don't really want you to reach out to them because their dad is sick. And I think this would be stressful for him. And I said, I appreciate that. I don't really, I don't want to ruin anybody's world. I'm, you know, I don't know. I think everybody thinks we're looking for money or something. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, but it was really bugging me. And I thought, wait, he said, there's another sister. And he told me her birth date and her name or her first name. So I went searching for her, found her, and sent her a letter. And again, everything gets delayed because that's just the way my communications go. But eventually she gets the letter, messages me, right, finally responds to the message I had sent her on Facebook like nine months earlier and says, you know, are you Christine's daughter? I am too. I need to talk to you. Wow. And she hadn't known before that that you existed? Nope. But right away, like she knew. And then, well, she looked at my pictures and I looked at her pictures and I was like, oh, oh yeah. In fact, I was scrolling through my Facebook feed one day and I thought, I never was like, I really thought I was never at that restaurant. What is like, you know, how does this work? And then I realized, oh my gosh, it's my sister. Wow there. She grew up in the town that I first, when, when my parents were first married that they lived in, we had moved like in the same County, but we had moved like three cities over. Um, so we grew up pretty much, you know, in the same circles, went to the same places. We just, it explains a lot why people were always asking me, um, why I didn't call them back or, uh, you know, if I had been to something because clearly it was her and it wasn't me. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard it, in one other adoptee talk about that, that she'll be, she knows that her birth mother lives in the same town and they look a lot alike and people will come up to her and reference things and mm -hmm. seeing her places. And she, she knows it's not her. It's freaky. Mm -hmm. And I used to answer, you know, people for years in my life when they would say, in fact, I got yelled at in an elevator once in D.C., like from some guy, like I'm going to work and mm -hmm. got my little briefcase and everything. And a bunch of people are in the elevator and this guy comes in the elevator. And he's like, why have you never called me back? Oh, this is like before cell phone days and whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I don't I don't know who you are. And he was like, don't even pretend like he was very angry. Oh, that poor guy. Yeah. At that How same. You know. How could he know? And I said, well, I'm adopted. I, maybe I have a doppelganger. I don't know. Uh -huh. And it turns out that my birth mother's family was living in the same area at, at that time. But the half-sister who had been adopted, that was my kind of loophole. She said, "Why? well, have you called the other sisters? Mm -hmm. You know, have you called them? And I said, no, because our uncle said this. She says, well, he doesn't see them that often. And, you know, he, their dad's been sick for a little while, but he's not that sick. I see them often. Mm -hmm. I'm calling them tonight because we have a family pact 
that there will be no secrets. Wow. That the previous generation had secrets and we will never have secrets. I'm impressed by that. I am too. So that night or the next day, I think I got a call from the oldest of the kept children and then the next the the next sister. So I there are two sisters and two brothers that our mother had with her husband. Then there are the two of us. And as far as we know, that's all there is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one else Yeah. So yeah. there's six of us. Um, and actually, the timing was kind of neat because I think it was the day of or the day. Like it was our birth mother was born and died like two days apart. Obvi- I mean, not two days in her right. life, but, you know. <laughs> in You're the telling same- me your birth mother was two days old. Yeah, she was two days old (laughs) and she had six children. Um, Quite a life. She's very advanced. Prolific. Prolific, very. But um, so it was right in that time frame that we all connected. And so we're just, you know, and we're just kind of upon the anniversary not too long ago. And so we were reflecting on that, that maybe for whatever reason, um, she took the secret to her grave. My, the sister that was with her, while she was ill and visiting all the time in the hospital, always said, I can't believe that I sat right next to her all those months. And our aunt, mm-hmm. the one who's not my biggest fan, mm-hmm. and neither of them told me. Mm-hmm. She said they didn't tell me about the first sister and they didn't tell me about you. And and she's very, uh, we're very close, but I see in her how hard it is because she misses that too. Like mm-hmm. I miss that time and I've always mourned that time, but I'm very conscious of the fact that my siblings missed that time too. Right. And they didn't ask for it any more than I did. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's such a testament to how, how deep a secret can be buried thinking of these women never telling anybody and then, you know, getting to the, (laughs) to their last opportunity to do it um, and still not. And then also what it's like for the siblings, which we don't talk about a lot on here. um, But, but it's, it's really something I imagine it is really something to discover you have, siblings not only because you've missed out on on the possibility of a relationship but all and also the added layer of a shift in perspective of who your parent is mother especially um that's a sort of double double hit a double whammy i don't know a double something i feel like they have that same sense of deception that i imagine Mm -hmm. a lot of npes have how could you lie to me yeah I don't know because I've never been either, but that's what I think. I have one friend who's she's never been on the on the podcast, but she she was she was contacted by a, an adult sibling. So it turns out that that's how she discovered that her mother had relinquished a baby when she was in high school, and um, the mother her mother will not talk about it, will not tell them is sort of devastated that this person has reached out and yeah, it's very, it's very complicated for my friend Mm -hmm. looking at sort of just looking at her mother and her relationship. And um, yeah, it brings up all sorts of things, Mm -hmm. all, all sorts of things. Could be why I'm terrible at keeping secrets. Like I can't keep a secret. Like, you know, I mean, like, I think if somebody's life depended on it, I mm-hmm. probably could, like, mm-hmm. like legit, you know, I have a high moral compass. Right. But I truly believe, and, and that's actually the pact on our, my maternal side, is we don't keep secrets from our siblings. Um, because the generation before kept so many. Kept so many. And, I mean, I don't talk to my siblings all the time, but if one of us finds out something whether it's good, bad, or indifferent Mm -hmm. that we feel the others need to know, we automatically, you know, we have a group text. Hmm. 
and so we're very close on that side. And then, yeah. and then I found my birth father that same year. Oh, wow. Because he has a first cousin who is quite the genealogist. Oh, every family's got one, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm, it like goes mm -hmm. back to the 1700s and, um, her last name is Scandinavian. She's, you know, her married name was Scandinavian. And I had learned, let's not put all those cards on the table and out anybody. And I had a first name, right? I didn't know if it was correct. Um, but so far, everything else in my non-identifying information was correct. So I had this first name of a man that she put in my record. And um, so I knew what that was. And because I had grown up being told I was Irish and Polish, which in fact, my birth mother is half Irish, half Polish. Her father oh, was Polish. Okay. Her father was Polish. Her mother was Irish. But I was fairly certain, those of you listening, I don't look particularly Irish and Polish. Um, I look very Mediterranean. And yeah, I was, so, I, was just, I was just thinking about how you described in the beginning in the sun, how in the summers, in, when yeah, how dark you would get. And I was yeah. like, yeah, that doesn't, that's not tracking. Yeah. And people would be like, where, you know, and I was like, I don't know. I come from a long line of field workers, clearly. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I'm cool with that. Um, but I knew, you know, I talk with my hands, I do all these things. So I, I, when I got the DNA and I looked at the breakdown and it was, you know, and, and, we all know now it's not an exact match and what have you, but more than half of my DNA was Italian. A little bit of Greek in there, like from centuries ago, but I was like, ha ha. So now that made it very easy for me. Um, my half sister is not so easy for her because she's just a big mix of all the same things. Um, but I knew I'm looking for someone who's Italian and who's, like a hundred percent Italian, because right. if I have this much, and again, not a scientist, not great with math, <laughs> but I could pretty much say, I want to find somebody Italian. And this woman had this tree and there were all these Italian last names in there. And, you know, you can blank out, you know, make it private, the names of people that are living, which she had done. But when I reached out to her, I knew I could appeal to her genealogy-ness and you know I'm building a tree and I'm very curious I think I'm looking for someone it might be a brother and I kind of gave her the uh first name and I had looked far enough back in her tree that I picked like two or three last names and I said so it might be this it might be this it might be this probably born in this time frame and she said, oh, well, you know, I haven't really finished the Scandinavian side of my tree. Clearly, she glanced at my note mm -hmm. um, because my last name is Arvidsson. And because that was my husband's side and I'm still working on that. But if you, you know, if you want to give me a little more detail or what have you, um, maybe I didn't tell her the whole nine yards the first time. She, at the end of the day, she identified the last name and the name. So I researched him mm -hmm. and called him oh. and he did not answer the, you know, he didn't return the call the first time. And then I did the, I had done some research and I found out that he had been a lawyer in New York was not actually a mafia lawyer though. Mm. Um, that you know of that I know of. And I thought, well, when I called again, I kind of couched it in, I'm doing some research about this project. And I've noticed, you know, that you've helped some students in these things. Would you call me back? And he called me back. And I said, surprise, it's a girl, you know? <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. No, I didn't really say it like that. I was much more sensitive around that. And um, we've been in reunion since 2019, 2020, no, before that, 2016, I guess, 2017, we met. Okay. Yeah. And that's lovely. I mean, his wife is just, it's really an unbelievable woman, you know, it was like, before we met, you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. the more the merrier. She's like the oldest of, I think, 12. So I think oh, wow. in her mind, they, they, they only have two children. So, you know, like, come on down. Oh, how lovely. 
Yeah, it's really that doesn't lovely. always happen. I don't know if any mm-hmm. listeners know that, but that doesn't always happen with um especially with wives. I hate to say it, but it very often wives do not appreciate um adult children coming in, especially female adult children can mm-hmm. feel uh can feel I don't know what it is exactly that the wives are feeling, but they don't appreciate it. Um, so I'm glad that you had, you're having a welcoming experience. That's lovely. That's so great. And so now that you know some of some more, I guess you would have known them with some of the non-identifying information anyway, but how old was your mother when she relinquished baby Peggy? She was 20. Okay. And he was 21. He had just finished his first year of law school. They met, they had gone to, um, there was a boys Catholic high school and girls Catholic high school. And they went to those schools at the same time. They, from the story that he tells me, they kind of ran in similar circles, but they weren't like, like best friends or anything. And after high school, I think she was working. I don't know if she had gone to college or whatever the case was, but she was working in like kind of the local pub and he was finished with his first year of law school and came back. So I guess this is past high school for sure. Came back with friends and, you know, sat at the bar. Mm-hmm. Say no more. Kinda, you know, say no more. Just the sixties, man. Yeah. we say that so often like it also could have been the 80s it also could have been the 50s i know it's just (laughs) at any era at any era uh yeah yep yeah makes sense that all makes sense to me okay interesting thank you for sharing that story yeah it's a long way around but no it wasn't long it no it was perfect so tell me now about adoptees at work which is your podcast. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. As a career, I've been a recruiter for for many years. And I love hearing what people do for work, why they picked that work, and what they want to do, or what they would rather do. And I've wanted to have a podcast for a long time. I actually had a blog talk radio show many years ago. And I loved that format because I love talking and I love, well, I actually like asking people questions about what makes them tick. And I thought after going to the Hareth Hope and Healing Retreat in New Jersey this past year, I thought I really want to do something in this community. And as a recruiter, the one shortcoming is you don't get to really understand what's underneath the surface. It's, it's, you know, you don't have time to say, but why do you want to do that? Mm-hmm. And you really don't have the freedom to say, I don't really think you're going to like this job, right? Because I have right. a job to put you in the right. job. You have a task at hand and there's a basic frame or protocol right. for how that, how that task is achieved. And it doesn't include a lot of personal conversation. Right you know, and I want to put them at ease and things like that. But I don't have the time to say the reason you're not going to get the job is. Um, So I've been doing that from a coaching perspective for a while. And I thought, wait, adoptees, we come in with these wild and crazy stories and these deep emotional knee-jerk reactions. We don't know how to do anything else. and, And that affects how we work. So I started the podcast to talk to people who are adopted. Um, and get their perspective. At least it was my perspective that being adopted affected me at work. But I don't know. Um, so I want to ask people that question. Has it affected you? And some people say, nope. Or I didn't think so until I started listening to the show. And now I realize. Mm-hmm. And some people say, absolutely. What, what's been most surprising is the people that say, I went into this particular field, whatever it is, that was nothing like what my family wanted me to do or did. And lo and behold, I found out that's what my biological family did or someone did. And that's been like, whoa. 
you know, some, you know, there's, there's adoptees kind of fall into these two camps at work too, right? There's the, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, maybe we left college, we never went back or we, you know, there's a lot of choppiness either in our history. I can't find where I belong or there is, I need safety and security so much that I'll put up with anything and stay in the same place for 40 years. Um, there's a lot of variation. We're humans, but it's been so much like, I'm so grateful that people will talk to me and tell it me. fascinating. It's uh, so, so interesting. And what I want are like people that actually do like statistics and science and numbers and say, are my theories like on track? Because I'm fascinated by data. And I don't do data, really. I mean, you know, I have my own little notes. So that's the show. Um, any adoptees that are listening here, um, I, you know, absolutely. I would love to talk to them. And um, next year, next season, because there will be a next season, there I'm going to do um, kind of add on with NPEs because I think there's going to be this sort of um, interesting story around here I am. Many MPs find out they're adults, they're working, maybe they're taking care of their kids and their household or their parents. And then suddenly they have this blammo thing and they've got to still show up at work. And I think those are going to be pretty interesting stories too. Yeah. Like, how do you navigate that? How do you, right. I want HR departments to know that we need like an employee assistance program. We need yeah. these employee resource resource groups, um, which are wonderfully beneficial in the workplace for so many groups. And why don't we have them? And how can they be more compassionate? What do they need to know in order to navigate this? What happens when you're in a boardroom and somebody comes in and they're like, I'm so excited. We just got approved to adopt this baby, right? And there's an adoptee sitting in the room who's dealing with their own um, trauma. And they can't say anything other than congratulations. congratulations. Right. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you have to have like massive sensitivity training and you can't oh. be excited. I'm just saying there are ways to recognize if somebody kind of says, I need to excuse myself and leave, they're not being rude mm -hmm. and give them that grace. Like I want, I want us to have grace in the workplace for all of us, mm -hmm. you know, for all humans, but this is my niche. Yeah. That's a great niche. This is the kind of human I am. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love it. Yep. I really love it. I, um, it's a great, it's such a great niche. Uh, anybody thinking about starting a podcast, a niche is so key. Um, I mean, I'm not an expert, but oh. That's uh, that's what they say. If people want to get a hold of you because they want to talk to you as adoptees about their jobs or their work and they want to connect or connect with you otherwise, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, my email address is my name, Peggy with an IE, middle initial P and my last name, Arvidson at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook as Margaret Peggy because my Facebook got hacked and I had to get back in. <laughs> uh, I do have an adoptees at work page. We have a private group for adoptees at work. And, you know, there's three membership questions, maybe four. You've got to complete them, people. <laughs> uh, it's not that hard. I'm not asking for your firstborn or your birthday. Yeah, she's not or asking anything. for your social security number or anything. No, but I can't <laughs> let you in. I, I really respect the people that are in that group. I want to protect their safety. Um, and we have a real community. So that would be a great way to connect. That would yeah. be. Oh, I have a, a sub stack too. Oh, okay, cool. I'll have it all linked up on my. Yeah, um... yeah I'll send you all that. Yep. People will be able to get it. Find it on my on the show notes or on my Instagram page. Make sure it's Yay. all available. That'll be great. I love it. Um, how long do you think the season is going to go for you for this podcast right now? I have enough episodes to go through. I think Christmas. Woo! This year, um... you are not joking around. <laughs> That's awesome. 
you know, they say sometimes be careful what you wish for. Uh, so, and then I think I'll take a break, you know, during the holiday season, maybe then I'll learn how to edit. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm, me um, either. Uh, but I will uh, come back probably in the spring, you know, maybe mm -hmm. the end of February. February is a big month for us and my family. So we'll maybe do that. Okay, great. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Great. You'll be around for a long time. That's awesome. Is and you know, anything? I have to say, I love your show because <laughs> I have to, because I was very averse to all of the adoptee feel stuff because there's a lot of anger and, you know, we're like humans. We've got all kinds of stuff. Oh, and I didn't want to like, I didn't want to dive into all the adoptee stuff because it felt like, I don't know. I don't know why, but I was like, Oh, this NPE stuff, I could get into that. Like I can, I can understand the feels and it's not me. Right. <laughs> it's like identity adjacent. It is. Mm -hmm. And I started listening to your podcast and was like, Oh, you can do this in a sensitive way and a fun way and recognize people for where they are. And so thank you for doing that. And then oh. I thought, oh, well, if Eve can do it, I can do it. Yeah. I mean, if I can do it seriously. <laughs> I did stalk you for a while. So there's that. Well, look, if this is what stalking feels like, I'm into <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> so there that, you have it. If that's what this is, that's great. Well, thank you. That's a really I I appreciate that description. Yeah. That is very nice. Cool. It's the truth. Is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? No. Okay. So I'll make sure my bases are covered. Your bases are covered. Yeah. You know, every time you tell the story, it's a little different. Of course. Of course. But that's it. Well, this was just delightful. It was super fun. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. I wish we could just hang out more. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Yeah. Come to Virginia. We didn't even get into talking about hands. I know. I did want to do that, but I'm not going to put you on the spot. But you said something on a recent podcast that I just listened to that I thought, Oh, yeah, that's related to her pinkies right oh, there. My intuition. Yeah, your intuition. I think about it all the time. I'm working so hard on it. Intuition yeah. and intimacy. Those are the two oh. things. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'm not I'm not ashamed to admit it. Me neither. That's actually my lesson right there, too. Mm. All about the pinkies. But, you know, that's a story for another day. Another day. We'll have to get you back on. All right. Okay. All right, friend. This is so wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is so great. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seriously, about the hand thing. Y'all, like I know that podcasts are an audio experience and not a visual experience, even though more and more videos are becoming involved. But I wish that Peggy could do a hand analysis podcast or, or maybe like she and I could do an episode about it. Maybe that's something we can do. But I met Peggy at a High Earth Hope and Healing Retreat. And she like, I don't know what the term is, did my hands, read my hands, but it's not palm reading. It's different. Um, let me tell you, folks, it was amazing. It was so fun, but it was also moving. It was insightful. I try to be open to experiences. I really do. But I also have a good dose of skepticism about these things. Please trust me. Peggy was the real deal. So get over there to adoptees at work, whether or not she's analyzing anyone's hands. Um, regardless, regardless of hands, she is doing good things. And I am so grateful that she spent time with me for my own podcast. She's busy. She could be doing lots of other things. And you could be doing lots of other things too. And maybe you are at the same time that you're listening to Everything's Relative. 
But I hope you really know and believe how grateful I am that you're spending time with this podcast and with me. This was my longest season yet with the most episodes. So if you are still here since day one, please know that I consider you a marathon champion. If you've been here since the actual day one of the podcast, which launched in 2019, over 100 episodes ago, I don't even know what to call you. (laughs) A maniac, maybe. You've been with me through so much. And sometimes, like sometimes I talked about it. You could track my journey through the episodes. And sometimes you can't. Uh, I don't always share everything. But I have always known you're out there. This community has been a wonderful stalwart support for me during the ups and downs of, um, of my life, this life, this human life on this earth. Please know that I consider you a friend and I hope that you consider the same of me. That sentence maybe didn't make sense. Please know that I consider you a friend and I hope that you think the same of me. Come back next week, friends, to hear a new kind of episode. Uh, me and my husband, We're going to talk more about my actual story and more about what we're going to do in 2024. We may or may not include a Magic Mind sponsorship spot, but I think it's going to be good. I'm nervous, but I'm also very excited, and I really hope you can be there. And in the meantime, please support the unions, wash your hands, register to vote, don't forget to smell the roses, and book those holiday flights because they're not going to get any cheaper. I'm Eve Sturgis. This is Everything's Relative. Bye-bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Eve Sturgis and Kaylin Egan and edited by Joy Rumor. Logo designed by Ivy McNally and music is used with permission from Goodbye the Band. Eve is a licensed psychotherapist, but her podcast episodes are not therapy sessions. I lost you when at, I'm going to run to the restroom and then we're going to pick up where you said, um, she said, she said, are you going to give me, she said, she said, give me a little time. I haven't finished the Scandinavian side yet. Got it. But, okay. but hold on. Let me run to the restroom. If that's okay. Go. If that's yes. okay. Can I please run no. to the restroom? Please no, don't say cannot. no. <laughs>